A lot of people have been asking me what I think about the weird UFO sightings popping up all over the country. Apparently, one of the aircraft that we shot down is shaped like a cylinder, and another one is shaped like an octagon. And people want to know, is it the Chinese? Is it aliens? Do aliens exist? Politico is reporting that UFO fever has gripped Washington, D.C. And so, since people keep asking, I'll tell you. My main thought is that 50 freight cars derailed on Friday night in Ohio near the Pennsylvania border, leaking, according to reports, at least a million pounds of vinyl chloride, which is an extremely dangerous chemical and a known carcinogen. The safe exposure limit for vinyl chloride is less than one part per million. After the derailment, Workers used small explosives to blow a hole in the rail cars to drain the vinyl chloride, which they collected in a trench and then set on fire, which seems to have made an already enormous problem much, much worse because burning vinyl chloride sends hydrochloric acid into the air along with phosgene, which you may recall from history class is one of the poison gases used during World War I. Seems like a pretty important news story, and yet it's not getting very much coverage. We've just got UFO fever. We're not, we're not really paying attention to these other stories. At least one reporter from News Nation who tried to cover the story in Ohio was actually arrested on the scene. I am allowed to be here. You can go to jail. Sir, you want to go to jail for criminal trespassing? Do you want to go to jail for criminal trespassing? Do you understand? You know how quickly our lawyers will get me out. I don't, we don't care. care. Sir, can we I talk? don't care. Just, 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 just talk outside. Just talk outside. Just talk outside. Out the Outdoors, you know, you're outdoors. outdoors by other media right here. I'm gonna listen. I don't care. You're job. gonna walk out the door. I'm gonna listen. You're gonna walk Do out not the door. Touch me. No, you're you're no, gonna stand outside. You are. Yeah, or you're going to jail. Let's go. Let's go. Out. Out. Please. You're under arrest. Oh, sir. Oh, sir. Pretty weird. And while I am mildly interested in China's latest espionage activities in the United States, I don't really care all that much about UFOs. Aliens aren't real. Vinyl chloride is. And yet, which one is everybody talking about? I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment on Friday is from Salty Walt, who says, Donald Trump once used to say that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue in broad daylight and not lose a single vote. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that George Santos actually did shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. The man is Teflon. Love the show. Keep it up. Such a good point. That guy, it seems like nothing can harm him. He seems completely impenetrable, completely completely immune. When you want to keep your immune system and your health up, you got to check out Jace Medical. Right now, go to jacemedical.com, enter code Knowles. If the past couple of years has taught you anything, it should be that our supply chain is incredibly fragile. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are an extremely short supply across the United States. 
We all had a good laugh when there was a toilet paper shortage at the start of the COVID lockdowns. Then when there was a baby formula shortage, things weren't so funny. Well, what about when there's a shortage of emergency medications like ibuprofen, basic stuff? You need to be prepared for anything. And our new partners at Jace Medical are here to help. Jace Medical helps you get a long-term supply of prescription medication. A great way to start preparing is with the Jace case. It's a pack of five different courses of antibiotics that you can use to treat a whole host of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, and more. All you've got to do is fill out a simple online form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician. Your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. Be like the Knowles's, okay? Get prepared with the Jace case. Gives you peace of mind knowing that your family will have what you need during a crisis. Want you to be prepared for anything. So go to jacemedical.com, enter code Knowles at checkout for a discount on your order. Get that peace of mind. Go to jacemedical.com, promo code Knowles. Aliens aren't real. <laughs> I know that's a controversial observation to make in this. They're not real. They're, they, there is no evidence. There is zero evidence, empirical or evidence that we can deduce from our limited observations about the natural world using human reason, zero evidence that extraterrestrial aliens exist at all. Some people say that the universe is really, really big. Therefore, aliens must exist. That is a non sequitur. It does not follow from the universe is really, really big that aliens exist. The reason that people believe in aliens now when people didn't used to believe in aliens is not because of any new scientific discovery. There has been zero, exactly zero scientific discovery that would suggest any increased likelihood for the existence of aliens. Some people will say, well, it's so large that statistically there have to be aliens. That's not how statistics work. (laughs) You might be able to make that argument. It might be somewhat persuasive if we knew anything about the physical origins of life. We do not. So there is zero reason to believe that life, certainly not conscious life, has cropped up anywhere else in the universe. It doesn't matter how big the universe is. The universe could be infinite. There would not be any logical reason to believe that life's existence here would, would imply life elsewhere. This is a way for atheists and agnostics to express religious longing and wonder. People will say, well, you, you, you religious people, you believe in angels and demons. That's true. There is much, much more evidence for angels and demons than there is for extraterrestrial aliens. I don't want to belabor the point. I'm just so sick of the stupid UFO alien stuff. <laughs> there's, there's much, much more evidence for angels and demons because angels and demons are pure spirit. That is the definition of what an angel and a demon is. And so if you believe that spiritual things exist at all, if you believe that the human person has a soul, if you believe that some things don't have a rational soul, like animals and rocks and trees and stuff, and that certain beings do exhibit a rational soul, then the fact that the soul exists could imply that there are beings that are purely spiritual, not purely physical, like like rocks and stuff, not hylomorphic, body and soul like human beings, but pure spirit as well. There is no, the, the suggestion that aliens exist pose certain theological problems pertaining to the fall and redemption of the world, uh, which 
is a discussion, I suppose, for another time because it's somewhat involved. But all, all of which to say, the thing that everybody is focused on right now is almost certainly not real. And the problems that we're ignoring are real. So what are the UFOs? According to the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration, we've got lots of weird UFOs flying above our heads. And I, I love how last week there was UFO fever and we found out it was a Chinese spy balloon. And we found another Chinese spy balloon. Then we found out that the Chinese have a number of aircraft that we had not previously detected flying over U.S. airspace. And then a, a week later, we shoot down some aircraft and the Pentagon won't give us too much information about it. And everyone says, well, it's got to be E.T. Not that it's obviously more Chinese aircraft, the likes of which we were seeing all of last week. No, no, no. It's got to be something totally different. Here we go, baby. This is it. The alien invasion is on. People only believe in the alien invasion because they have given up the other and more correct version of eschatology, the end of times. So people used to look up to the sky and wait for the four horsemen to start flying down and Christ to descend for the second coming. That used to be their vision of the end of the world. But now, because people have thrown away, they've convinced themselves that it's somehow unreasonable to believe in true and traditional religion. Now we're just waiting for E.T. to come down in a flying saucer and zap the White House. Because that's apparently more uh, reasonable than the uh, true religion that has animated our civilization uh, for 2,000 years. Yeah, okay. Uh, we had a potential object detected over Montana Saturday night. The military shot down a cylindrical object over Alaska. It was about the size of a small car, so it was smaller than those Chinese balloons last week. No aliens yet. We can look at Area 51, but no aliens have been discovered yet. A, a related point to my point about the chemical spill in Ohio. We know that there is a little green man type of alien that is causing lots of trouble to our country. And yet, we ignore that problem, and we, we worry about the imaginary little green men who don't exist and don't pose any problem to our country. There are millions of, of aliens pouring into our country every single year. Some of them have tattooed their faces entirely green, and they're members of a gang called MS-13. But we kind of ignore that issue. We don't really talk about that one too much in the establishment media, because instead, we're going to distract ourselves with E.T., People like to distract themselves with fantastical stories because it gives, them, it gives them something to focus their attention and worry on that they can't actually do anything about. We could do something about our southern border and stop the little green aliens who are currently coming in. We could do something about that, but we can't muster the political will to do it. We can't muster the political unity that's necessary to do that. And so we have to distract ourselves with imaginary problems about which there is nothing that one can possibly do. This is a real temptation in our culture. You're seeing this right now from uh, Mr. Dylan Mulvaney, probably one of the greatest examples of it, who has had, he's the, he's the transvestite who was a Broadway actor and then he pretended to be a woman and, and on TikTok every single day, he says, that's day five of being a woman and I'm, today I'm flitting around as a sort of a caricature of what a woman is. I've cried 10 times today. I've never felt more like a woman. Well, Dylan Mulvaney has had some surgery to make his face look more like Bruce Jenner's and now he's posting videos saying that he looks super duper hot. It's day 335 of being a girl, and I wanted to go on record to say that this might be the hottest I've ever looked and will ever look in my lifetime. And I'm making this video so that in thousands of years, there will be evidence. Is it the dress? 
It could be the dress. It, it, is it the makeup? Or is it the hair? Because I think it's the extensions. And when I have extensions in, I don't know my name. I don't know where I live. I just know that I love these. And I know that I look like I could steal a husband. But I want to promise you, look me in the eyes. I want to promise you that I would never do that to you. Okay, I am a girl's girl. And I love ya. Woo! But seriously, this is good, right? Okay, okay, okay. Love you, love you, okay. Uh, much, much to say about that video, because it's not just Dylan. It, it reflects a lot of the problems in our culture. But before we do that, before we clear the air about all that, you got to clear the air in your home. That's why you need rabbit air. Right now, go to rabbitair.com. Tell them that Michael Knowles sent you. I think maybe the whole show has led to this moment. Not just this episode, I mean the whole show. Because you know I love my cigars. One of the problems is when you smoke a cigar indoors, a smell tends to linger, okay? Until now. I am so happy that we have Rabbit Air on board. I've got my Rabbit Air award-winning air purifier in my office so I can smoke in my office whenever I want and not get yelled at too much. Even if you're not a, a cigar guy, though. This air purifier is just magnificent. I live here in Nashville. It's the allergen capital of the world. Well, Rabbit Air has advanced six-stage filtration and deodorization that can reduce airborne particles, odors, and pollutants to keep your air clean and fresh. This air purifier is highly customizable. It's got an interchangeable faceplate design, wall mount floor stand, four custom filtration options, such as odor remover for cigars or toxin absorber for VOCs. The Rabbit Air app lets me monitor air quality control purification from anywhere at the touch of a button. Go to rabbitair.com right now to speak to a Rabbit Air consultant, R-A-B-B-I-T-A-I-R.com. Tell them that Michael Knowles sent you. Dylan Mulvaney has just given the best proof yet that transgenderism broadly, or at very least the type of transgenderism that he suffers from, is a sexual fetish. It's what the psychologist Ray Blanchard called autogynephilia. Ray Ray Blanchard, the psychologist, said that there are two kinds of people who think that they're the opposite sex. There are homosexual transsexuals who are attracted exclusively to men and are feminine in both behavior and appearance. And then there are autogynephilic transsexuals who experience sexual arousal at the idea of having a female body. It would appear, well, uh, Dylan Mulvaney might have he might have a little touch of both, I guess, but, but he certainly has the latter in as much as he is viewing himself as a hot sexual object. <laughs> he's saying, I've never looked hotter in my whole life, ladies. And it's a funny line, and he's saying it with a, the deadpan of a trained actor, uh, but it, it, it does prove the point. He's saying, I am looking on my body that some surgeon has constructed for me with lust. And then he goes further and he says, when I'm looking at me in my hot new body in the mirror, I don't know my name. I forget who I am. I forget where I am. All I know is I just think these hair extensions are really hot. All of this is an admission of what conservatives have said about transgenderism from the beginning, which is this is obviously a disordered sexual fetish. And this is obviously an expression of self-hatred. That's what he's saying. He's saying, oh, I just feel such relief. I'm so happy because I forget who I am. I'm so happy. I forget my name. I just forget where I am. I'm escaping from 
a reality that I don't want to confront into a fantasy and a delusion that that is relieving my sense of contempt for, for the real world and also arousing me sexually. It's just a total vindication of what the conservatives have said. The libs have said, no, no, transgenderism is just, it's just who you really are. It's just people living their true lives authentically and loving themselves. Dylan Mulvaney is saying, no, no way, man. I hate myself. I, to- I want to forget who I am. I don't want to know my own name. I want to forget, I, forget, I want to forget where I am. I don't, I don't want to remember anything about the real world. I just want to pursue my disordered sexual desire to a, a state of a kind of sexual ecstasy. That's what he's saying. He's saying we're right. And, and we have been right about this. The, the self-hatred problem is a big problem. Very often the, the culture of body positivity or love yourself or, or pride, which is the primal sin, the queen of all vices, and the vice of all queens, as my friend Andrew Clavin has pointed out, uh, is a mask for self-hatred. Very often the people who are most boastful, who seem most narcissistic and egotistical, paradoxically, they also are filled with the most self-hatred. You're seeing this reflected in uh, all of the popular culture, but look at this cartoon that we played last week or the week before, Proud Family, which is a reboot of a 20-year-old cartoon at Proud Family has been rebooted to push BLM and woke intersectional leftist nonsense and to push onto a culture of predominantly white people the sense that white people are evil. Well, you understand love, don't you? No. No, I do not understand anything about white fragility. White fragility? What's that supposed to mean? You know what it means. You're doing it right now. Doing what? Being defensive about race. Robert D'Angelo wrote a whole book about it. Read it. Yet again, page same um, no, page cover and everything. My dad wouldn't even look at the diary. He said his people would never own slaves. How could he just dismiss me like that? White fragility. Oh, where the Kwame? White fragility, that's what it is. Now, it would be very easy to say that all of this anti-white propaganda is just a a problem coming from black people or from non-white people. That's not primarily what's going on. All of the anti-white, if you're you're a little boy and you're white, you're evil, you need to apologize for your whiteness. That stuff is largely coming from white people. It's, It's not so simple as to say, hey, you radical black people need to stop pushing this on us. It's, it's largely white people. The book that they referenced is by Robin D'Angelo. Robin D'Angelo is a white lady. The people who run these networks pushing all this stuff are by and large white people. And it's white people who, who want to hate themselves. I'm, I'm very lucky. I don't know. Maybe I got a vaccine when I was a kid or something. I am completely immune to white guilt. Maybe it's because the Italians are a sort of racially liminal people. Always been a little bit ethnically ambiguous. So I just, I just don't feel it at all. I feel the shame of my sinfulness. I feel a healthy fear of temptation because this is a fallen world and we're all born with original sin. Though I feel confident that uh, that, won't, that won't destroy my life and send me down to perdition because one's soul is cleansed in, in baptism. Uh, that's, that's kind of my view of the whole problem. But for, for the modern liberals who ignore that, who ignore true religion, who ignore 
the wisdom of the ages and of revelation, who it's not that they become much more uh, empirical and grounded in their views. They actually became much, they become much more fantastical and superstitious in their views. They, they can infer and intuit that something is wrong about this world. They, they recognize that there is such a thing as original sin. They just don't want to call it that. So they've got to call it something else. They recognize that something is wrong with themselves, but they don't, they don't have any path toward redemption. And so it just leads them further and further down this pit, and they blame it on their skin color. They blame it on whiteness, or they blame it on their, their uh, sexual expression. They blame it on an alleged conflict between their gender identity and their sex. So they chop themselves up, and they mutilate themselves, and they, they, they do that spiritually, and they do that physically in the case of Dylan Mulvaney. And it's all, it, it's all just a, a road right down the pit. There's no, there's no getting out of that. It's just, it's just more and more self-hatred compounding on itself. You saw this in the Super Bowl yesterday. I barely saw any of the Super Bowl yesterday. <laughs> I, I went to my friend's Super Bowl party, which was very fun. I watched about five seconds of the game. I decided on the drive over there, I said, which team do I support? I don't, I don't know. The Eagles, I'm from the Northeast, so maybe the Eagles, except that Philly's pretty rough right now. You know, Wawa left Philly. It's a pretty crime-ridden hellscape. So I don't know if I would support the Phillies. And then I thought the Chiefs, I was talking to sweet little Elise about this, the Chiefs, at least that name is slightly more politically incorrect. Are you allowed to call something the Chiefs these days? So that kind of made me like them. I heard one of the guys on the Chiefs is a strong Christian conservative guy. I don't even know if that's true or not. But I said, okay, I guess I'll support the Chiefs. So we tune in. One of the first things one sees, the Black National Anthem. Lift every voice I see Till earth and heaven Ring, ring with the harmonies Okay, we, we can cut it off there. My favorite part of this entire charade is as this woman is singing this ridiculous song that nobody had heard of until five minutes ago, it cuts to the black guys who are standing there and they just look miserable. They're like, oh man, do I, this doesn't mean anything to me. This is a completely contrived tradition. No, why do I have to, but cause I'm a black guy, I gotta, and then it cuts to the white guy next to him. He's like, what are we, what is this? Why do I have to be here? Was this over yet? Can we? We get on to the real national anthem. But now the libs are saying there are two national anthems. One for black people, one for white people. Which one do the Hispanics and the Asians and the other people, I don't know which one they get to sing. Maybe they'll get their own. But if there are two national anthems, that means that there are two nations, two competing nations. Are they going to be geographically distinct nations? Is, is the is what the Lib's saying here is that black people need one part of the country and white people need another part of the country? Or is it going to be two nations fighting over the same geographical land? Is it the Lib's calling for a race war? Those are the only options. (laughs) If you have two national anthems for two distinct groups of people within the same geographic territory, then you're either calling for partition, like you saw with India and Pakistan, or you're calling for a race war for one group to conquer the other in the, in the geographical territory. That's the only thing that that can mean. 
And so you see, see the singer, whoever she is, singing this made-up song. And you see all these other people of all different races behind her looking very uncomfortable and slightly bored and just largely confused. That's the right expression. You, sh- you should be uncomfortable with this. this. This idea does not end well. You, now, if you have questions about the Black National Anthem or any other question, you can send it in in the voice mailbag. That's right. We've got the voice mailbag coming up on Friday. How do you do it? You go to dailywire.com. First, you go to dailywire.com slash Knowles, enter code Knowles. You become a Daily Wire member. Then you go to the show page. You click watch. You scroll down to the Michael Knowles show. Click on the Michael Knowles show. Click into the mailbag, and then it opens up an email. And then you just attach an audio file, whether it's from your computer, you can record it on your phone. Keep it to under a minute, I'm begging you, because otherwise it's very difficult for us to play it on the show. Then you send it in, we get to hear your dulcet tones on Friday. Very, very exciting. Speaking of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl was not all that bad, I am told. I, I didn't even make it to halftime. I left. I had to get the kids to sleep. I had to do some work. So I left early. But I did see some clips of halftime. And the big story from halftime is that Rihanna, who is the performer, is pregnant, which I thought was great. You know that the guys who organized the Super Bowl were furious about this because they, they signed the contract, I assume, before Rihanna got pregnant, certainly before Rihanna was showing that she was pregnant. There hadn't been a big announcement that this singer was pregnant. And so they say, oh, no, we got this. Ah. Pregnant? We hate pregnancy. We hate kids. There's overpopulation. We got. We got. We're pushing abortion. We, ah, our singer's pregnant now. She's probably not going to do a, like a weird, slutty, sexually charged dance. That would be really because that would be pretty awkward, wouldn't it? The show. It was w- one of the tamest halftime shows we've seen in years, and people were celebrating. Probably not the organizers of the Super Bowl, but everybody else. They said they were so happy for Rihanna as they should have been. Uh, Philip Lewis, who is an editor for the Huffington Post. He's the senior front page editor. He tweeted out, he said, Rihanna performed the Super Bowl halftime show while pregnant with second child. Representative confirms. My first reaction was, it's a child again, is it? (laughs) That's amazing, because I was told previously, I was reliably informed by the sort of people who work at the Huffington Post, that when a baby is in the womb, it's not a baby, it's not a child. It's not alive. It's not human. It's just a meaningless clump of cells. Certainly we are told that when poor women get pregnant, that that's a meaningless clump of cells. You should go kill that so you can get back to work at the widget factory. Certainly we are told that when desperate women who do not have adequate support to raise a child without some degree of difficulty and suffering, when they get pregnant, oh, you should just go kill it. You're not even killing it. It's not even a baby. Just go. It's a simple medical procedure. It's a clump of cells. Don't even look at it. It's okay. Just get it done. But then when Rihanna is pregnant, well, that's one. That's a child. It's a child when wealthy people want babies and they get pregnant. Then that's a child. The, the royal baby, whenever a duchess gets pregnant, it's never the royal fetus. It's never the royal clump of cells. It's always the royal baby is going to be born in six months. It's just when poor people, when the deplorables, when the irredeemables, when the bitter, clinging, Bible-thumping, no good, useless people, like some contributors to the World Economic Forum calls them, when they get pregnant, when when you get pregnant, then you you should kill it. Nobody wants that. Rihanna, though, that's great. I'm glad even even the Huffington Post can admit it. That's a great 
That's a great new change. Speaking of things growing inside of people, great news for John Fetterman, the senator from Pennsylvania. The gigantic bulbous uh, growth on his neck has apparently gone away. This was uh, one of the reasons that John Fetterman was wearing a lot of hoodies during the campaign is he had this giant, very concerning growth on his neck, but John Fetterman didn't want to ask any, or answer rather, any questions about his health while he was on the campaign trail. And so they just kind of covered it up as best they could. And now the growth is gone, which I'm sure is actually a very, very good thing. But John Fetterman continues to have health problems. Uh, we, we saw over the last week, John Fetterman was admitted to the hospital, George Washington University Hospital, because he was feeling lightheaded at a fundraiser. John Fetterman uh, thought that he might be having another stroke, apparently. And so they went in, they gave him a CT, CTA, MRI tests. They ruled out a stroke, which is good news. His EEG tests came back normal and no evidence of any seizures, which they had been concerned about. But John Fetterman is not doing well. Back in the fall, John Fetterman was talking about football. He was talking about the Eagles who were in the Super Bowl. And here, here, was, here was a pretty simple answer about football that, that he tried to formulate. The Eagles are so much better than the Eagles. No, no. So presumably he was trying to say the Eagles are better than the Steelers or the Steelers are better than the Eagles who didn't obviously didn't come out very well. I really am not making fun of the guy. The guy obviously has brain damage and continues to have that. The New York Times is reporting on that. The New York Times reported that Fetterman has been left with, quote, serious mental health issues. He often cannot understand the words that other people are saying as a result of the stroke. He has to use live audio to text transcription for everything that he does, certainly in his work as a senator. And then apparently when Fetterman is under stress, and being a national level politician is a stressful job, uh, he says that trying to understand what other people are saying is like, quote, trying to make out the muffled voice of the teacher in the Peanuts cartoon whose words could never be deciphered, according to this report in the Times. So really bad situation. It, it is cruel that the libs have put him into the Senate and that his wife is tolerating this. It's cruel because it is allowing him to be humiliated every single day, not by mean right-wing comedians, not by gotcha journalists, just he has to speak sometimes as a U.S. senator, and it is humiliating because he isn't able to, to form coherent sentences. If you've ever known a stroke victim, you know this is, this is heartbreaking when, when people want to say something and they can't say something or when they can't quite understand what people are saying to them. And so many people are, are observing that this man is not fit to be a U.S. senator. And that's the only part that I disagree with. I agree that it's cruel and wrong to put him in the U.S. Senate. I think his family should be ashamed of themselves. I think the Democratic Party should be ashamed of itself for many other reasons, but that one too. But he's not unfit to be a senator because he doesn't really have to do anything as a senator. His staff can just vote for him. A hundred years ago, being a senator meant more than it does today. Two hundred years ago, being a senator certainly meant more than it does today. A lot of the Senate's power is just gone, though. And the Senate and the House of Representatives has, have just shipped that power away to bureaucrats in the executive agencies, to the leadership in the Senate and leadership in the House of Representatives, to 
to international, supranational bodies that, that control a lot of U.S. policy. They've just given it away. And it was their right to give it away. I know there are some people who are real antagonists of the administrative state and the real small government conservatives. And they say, the Congress had no right to delegate away these powers. But I'm not convinced by that necessarily. I think the Congress has broad power to delegate away its responsibilities. And it has all the incentive to because if Congress and the Senate are voting on legislation, then it's going to open them up to attacks. If they say, well, we're only voting on one or two bills a year, we're going to vote on the omnibus, we're going to vote on a Defense Authorization Act, and that's pretty much all we're going to do all year long, then it, it becomes much easier to go back and campaign. And if that's all you're voting on, then, then this guy is just going to be a rubber stamp. In fact, even before the stroke, he was running to be a rubber stamp. It's not as though John Fetterman was a Rhodes Scholar, okay? It's not as though the health problems are really what exacerbated John Fetterman's a descent into this lowest common denominator politics. He was always going to be a rubber stamp for the, whatever the Democrats wanted, and that's what he is now. Speaking of the deep state, really bad news over the, over the weekend for anybody who wants Western civilization to have any hope of coming out of its current pit <laughs> as we continue to slide into the pit. And this is because American liberals are going into Hungary to try to oust the very successful, good conservative leader of Hungary. Samantha Power, in particular, one of those Barack Obama faces of the swampy liberal deep state. Samantha Power is on the ground in Hungary, relaunching a U.S. aid program in that country. As USAID administrator, I have the chance to travel all around the world to engage with people who are working every day to strengthen democratic institutions, to build independent media, and to promote and protect human rights. I'm here in Hungary, one of the countries in Central Europe where USAID has recently relaunched programming to tackle just these challenges. I'm gonna spend the next couple of days engaging with Hungarians about their vision for a brighter future. I've only met Samantha Powers once. It was when I was, this was one of my first jobs after college. I was a fake sommelier at George Soros's wedding. I mentioned that one of the stranger political stories that I have, one of my pieces of evidence, by the way, that George Soros doesn't totally control the world is that if they had even Googled me beforehand, they never would have hired me for this job. But I'm at George Soros's wedding and there are all sorts of very liberal power players in the room. Some celebrities like Bono, Nancy Pelosi, international political power players like Christine Lagarde from, from then the IMF, now she's at the World Bank, and Samantha Power. Samantha Power was one of the big Obama people who made it to George Soros's wedding. She's just, she's swampy. And Samantha Power is there on behalf of USAID, which is the U.S. Agency for International Development, independent agency of the federal government, responsible for administering civilian foreign aid and development assistance. They got a budget of $27 billion. It's one of the largest official aid agencies in the world. It accounts for more than half of all U.S. foreign assistance for, uh, for the highest in the world in terms of absolute dollars. Now she's going into Hungary. Not Syria, not Libya, not North Korea, Hungary. This is one of the ways in which the United States pushes its imperial power around the world to try to oust governments. 
Samantha Power is on the ground now in Hungary on behalf of the Biden administration to launch a color revolution to oust Viktor Orban because Viktor Orban is too conservative and successful. Viktor Orban, he, he governs a relatively small country, but he has done more than any leader in the West probably to turn around the, the negative trend and try to get his country back on the right track. You can see this aesthetically. Victor Orban has gotten rid of the crappy, brutalist, communist art and architecture, and he's tried to re-beautify, make the country more ornate, more human, more Western, more, more beautiful. I know this seems like a minor point, but we're talking about goodness, truth, and beauty. Beauty is a transcendental too. It's very important to civilization. He's, he's focused on that. He's turned around much more practical problems like the dying population. We have a dying population here in the United States. We don't have enough babies to offset the number of people who are dying. This is one of the causes of mass migration. This is true throughout the West. Victor Orban has turned his birth rate decline around. They're not yet producing more babies then people are dying, but they've turned it around pretty significantly and they're getting close. This is one of the reasons that Viktor Orban can say no to mass migration. He's one of the only Western leaders to do so. The rest of the West says, no, flood the country with foreign nationals. Oh, what could go wrong? That, that won't destabilize our societies. Viktor Orban, one of the few, just like the Hungarians uh, were at some of the most decisive battles in Western history, Viktor Orban says, no. No, we're not. We're going to say no to that. So no to mass migration, no to a dying population. We're going to support families. We're going to support birth and no to your crappy modern ideology and art. No, we're going to embrace the best, the heights of our civilization. And the libs freaking hate him for it. As far as I'm concerned, the aid should be going to the other, uh, other direction. Victor Orban certainly should expel Samantha Power from his country as fast as he can. He should say no thanks to the, this instantiation of USAID. Frankly, we should have Hungarian aid coming into the United States because he's got some answers to some of the big problems plaguing our society. And I think probably we could, we could learn a lot if the aid were going in the other direction. To celebrate President's Day this year, the Daily Wire is launching our, our President's for Sale sale with 40% off new annual memberships. The big guy got 10%. We're giving you 40%. Get access to the world of Daily Wire Plus with fearless documentaries, gripping movies, Dennis Prager's master's program, and the entire library of Dr. Jordan Peterson's work, including new productions, Exodus, Logos and Literacy, On Marriage, all available to watch right now. Coming down the pipeline to a TV or a laptop near you. New episodes of Ben Shapiro's The Search, Exodus Part 2, our much-anticipated DW Kids content, and Pendragon later this year. To sweeten the deal, we're also giving you up to 40% off selected items in the Daily Wire shop. Take advantage of our President's For Sale sale today. You know that he would. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to become a member today. That's dailywire.com slash subscribe. Speaking of strong right-wing leaders, we got to get to the horse race, don't we? We haven't talked about the horse race in days. Trump versus DeSantis. There's a new poll out. This is from Monmouth University, National Poll of Republican Voters. Shows you how the Republicans are thinking about DeSantis and Trump. If this poll is to be believed, and that's a big if, DeSantis is up by 13 points, 53 to 40. Now, national primary polls don't really matter because the primary is not held nationally. The primary is held in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, on and on, Florida. It goes all around the country. And so momentum changes depending on who's winning these primary contests. 
But as of right now, I think this poll tells you something because of the breakdown of who is supporting whom. Among strong Republicans, DeSantis 49, Trump 46. So statistically about even between Trump and DeSantis among strong Republicans. Among Republican leaners, DeSantis crushes 60 to 32. Among the very conservative, DeSantis is still winning, but by less, by significantly less, 53 to 43. Among moderates, DeSantis does better in terms of that delta. It becomes 51 to 38. Among evangelicals, then it starts to switch again. Trump gains a little bit more. DeSantis still winning, though, 51 to 44. Non-evangelicals, DeSantis takes it 56 to 34. Under 65 years old, DeSantis destroying 58% to Trump's 37%. Among 65 plus, it flips. Trump beating DeSantis 49 to 43. Among people making more than 50 grand a year, DeSantis totally crushing it, 61% to 33%. Among people making less than 50 grand a year, it flips. Trump wins 53% to 38%. Tells you a lot. That's the most interesting poll I've seen so far on the head-to-head. And by the way, this field is going to be full of people, full of people. Mike Pence has already said he's going to run, or at least strongly intimated it. Nikki Haley has all but said she's running. Mike Pompeo has all but said that he's running. Ted Cruz actually hasn't said very, I'm not, I'm not being coy, even though, you know, hosted a show with a guy for three years, love him to death, close friend of mine. Uh, he, he hasn't said anything one way or the other. He said he would be interested in running, but not that he is planning to, but he might. Now, there, you know there are going to be tons of other people. Actually, there's one in particular who's a total joke. He's already essentially said that he's running. What does it tell you, though? You're looking at Trump and DeSantis. It tells you Trump does better with older voters and lower-income voters. And he's roughly even among strong Republicans. And DeSantis does better with the moderates and the independents and the younger voters and the wealthier voters. That tells you that Trump is in a pretty good position. It doesn't look like he's in a good position because of the 53 to 40. That looks really bad. But the lower income voters disproportionately represent a Republican base. Not necessarily the big, obviously not the big donors, not necessarily the people who go to the think tank lunches, but in terms of the Republican base, especially in a post-Obama, post-Joe Biden world, the base is skewing much more working class, certainly than the Democrats are. And older voters, older voters tend to vote more than younger voters do. So if Trump is doing better among the older voters, that is disproportionately going to help him. So you might look at these numbers and say, well, DeSantis would do better in the general. That might well be the case. But we're talking about a primary. And we're talking about a primary, by the way, which almost certainly won't be head to head. So the challenge for DeSantis right now, and I've said this from the beginning and I've been totally vindicated on it, DeSantis has to run in the anti-Trump lane. It's just the race includes Donald Trump. So you could say DeSantis is, tr- is the most Trumpy candidate in the world. He's Trumpier than Trump. He's Trump 2.0. You could say all of that. But in a race where Trump is running, DeSantis necessarily has to be the anti-Trump. That's why DeSantis is going to attract support from some squishes. And that's why he's going to attract support from some centrists and some libs. And that could hurt him. So he's got to walk this tightrope. It's very, very difficult. And then when you add other candidates to it, 
All of a sudden, now Trump, with all of his name recognition, with his 40 years of celebrity, is going to perform even better. In fact, that's what happened in 2016. So if you're counting Trump out, I just think it's way, way too early to do that. Why are all these candidates going to run? Because the landscape is really, really strong for Republicans right now. According to, a, to another Monmouth poll, this, this from uh, last Monday, 39% of Americans said that the State of the Union is strong. This is right before Joe Biden gave a State of the Union address. Less than 40% of Americans believe that the State of the Union is strong. 58% say the State of the Union is not strong. 32% say the Union is not too strong. 26% say it's not at all strong. That's why the people are getting into this race. They view Joe Biden as very beatable, and they view Trump as not as formidable as he previously had been. Strong, but not strong enough to clear the field, which means, paradoxically, that if the field gets flooded with people, Trump might be able to stand out by just consistently keeping a plurality. I'm not saying that's going to happen. DeSantis or some other candidate might blow him out of the water within a matter of months. But as of right now, that's how it stands. Speaking of some of those squishy Republicans, Chris Sununu, Chris Sununu, governor of New Hampshire, says that he's going to run for president, or at least he's strongly implying that he's going to run for president. And here's his platform. You've been talking about trying to sort of remind the party that Republicans are about limited government. Yeah. You said recently Republicans are almost trying to outdo Democrats at their own game of being big government and having a solution and a say on everything. Who are you thinking of when you say oh, there, that? There's a lot. Like, I think there's a lot of leadership out there that forget that forgets at, at heart. I'm a principled free market conservative. Let the markets decide. So there's no individual per se, but there's a lot of leadership that says, you know what? When we're not getting that result out of a private business or a locality, uh, we'll just impose from the top down our conservative will. You're not talking about the Florida yeah. governor and Disney, for example. That's a bad example. Yeah, that's that's an example. One, one of the many examples. Ron DeSantis may be running for president sure, as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Look, Ron's a very good governor. He is. But I'm just trying to remind folks what we are at our core. And if we're trying to beat the Democrats at being big government authoritarians, remember what's going to happen. Eventually, they'll have power in a state or in a position, and then they'll start penalizing conservative businesses and conservative nonprofits and conservative ideas. That is the worst precedent in the world. That's exactly what the founding fathers tried not to try to avoid. And the award. For the most out-of-touch Republican goes to, drumroll please, uh, Governor Chris Sununu. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> oh my goodness. It's as though Chris Sununu, he got, he was cryogenically frozen in 2010 or 2009. And he just, froze, maybe even earlier, and he froze there. And he just was melted out of that freeze. And he said, hey guys. We, if we ever use the government, the liberals might use it against us. Oh, uh, Chris, you must have missed the last um, 10 years. Really, you must have missed the last um, 70 years of U.S. politics. They're already doing that. But guys, if we do anything to fight back in the real world, then the Democrats might hypothetically keep doing what they've been doing for 70 years. Yeah, yeah, that's not a hypothetical then. It's not if we do this, then they might do this. That's not the, situ the situation we're in is the libs are already doing the thing. And the question to us is, are we going to fight back in a just way in accord with what the founding fathers wanted? I love, I love when these people invoke the founding fathers say, the founding fathers would never want us to wield political power. Bro, what, where do you, what are you talking about? 
We had many, many, many more social regulations at the time of the founding fathers. We had many, many more social regulations even 20 years ago than we do today. We had blasphemy laws on the books for much of this country's history. We had, we had blue laws all over the place. We had very strict immigration controls for much of this country's history. We had very strong standards that we enforced with the weight of the government, with the weight of the state, on education, on religion, on, on social norms between men and women, all of that. But if we, if we start, listen, I'm a strong conservative. I want to cut taxes. Yeah, life is about more than cutting. I like cutting taxes too, but countries are about more than that. Life is about more than that. What a waste. Elect me and I'll keep using the same loser strategy that cost us the entire culture, wouldn't even allow conservatives to conserve the women's bathroom. The rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss this. Mr. Davies, who did watch the Super Bowl because he is a sports fan, he has got the best moments that I may have missed. Become a member right now at dailywire.com slash Use code Knowles at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. See you at the member block.